This is your award-winning BCFM on 93.2, 24 hours a day. And today we have two very special guests from St. Matthew's Church in Kingstown, Deborah Tompkins and Simon Pugh-Jones, who are members of the Eco Group, and they are here to tell us all about what the church has been doing to combat the climate crisis and to reduce its carbon footprint. And yeah, welcome, Deborah and Simon. How are you? Well, thank you. I'm very well. Thanks very much. Good to meet you. Very pleased to be here. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming. So please do tell us what um, what is an eco-group in the church and what has the church been up to around the environment? Okay. Well, um, it's um, an eco-group is a group of, of people who want to take on the kind of um, environmental audit of the church, look at everything that we do and see if we can improve it, basically. And that's the very basic thing. When I first arrived at the church about five years ago, I started talking to people about, um, you know, what my passion is, which is the environment, creation, care, and found that there were a lot of people there also passionate about creation care. So we decided to form a little group. And lovely. And so there's about seven people in the group and you've been going for a few years now. And what have you been up to? What have you what have you done so far? Well, I think I think we just we heard about um, Arosha's Arosha is a Christian conservation organization and they started something called Eco Church. And we heard about it and we looked at it and they have five areas that churches have to look at in order to get an award. It's a sort of bronze, silver or gold award. And um, the five areas are worship and teaching. So what happens day, you know, week by week in Sunday services. It's if you have a building, how, what happens in your building, how you manage your energy or paper use or consumption of other things. If you have land, how you manage that. Uh, community engagement. And then um, I'm just trying to think about the last one, which is overseas. No, it's mission engagement, I think. <laughs> You'd have to look. Sorry, I might have to look to confirm that. Um, and uh, so we wanted to look at all of those things because that's how you um, progress. And we did. That's what we started with. Anyway. Okay. And so what, what have you been doing since then? This might be a good time to bring Simon in because um, the thing that St. Matthew's has become, uh, I suppose, famous for amongst Anglican churches is these uh, new chandeliers that you've designed. Okay, so we did lots of... We did The answer to the question is we did lots of things. Um, and, and some of them we just sort of got on and did and then you know just they evolved into um, other things like the wild garden and um, be asked about the heating um that's one of the problems that all churches face heating a church is uh, a really big problem because churches are big um it takes an enormous amount of energy and when we started thinking about this this was all about decarbonizing that process and you know could we do it better uh, of course since then we've had an energy cost crisis as well so it's not all about carbon, but it's also for churches. It's how do you reduce the cost of it? Okay, so we, we, uh, one of the things we did was look at the church heating problem. Um, heating churches is a really big problem because churches are big. Um, so that usually involves not very good heating comfort and lots of carbon. Um, and of course, since we started thinking about that, we've had an energy cost crisis as well. So that's become a big cost consideration for churches. Um, uh, we went through this sort of thought process. I'm, I'm an architect, so I sort of think about these things a lot and, and, it's, and uh, find myself in St. Matthew's thinking, how could we make it better here? Um, and uh, there was a lot of thought process, but the, the key thing that led us towards something was 
um, to think about, well, radiant heating in churches is a really good idea. Um, so this is like radiant heaters. People of a certain age will remember two-bar electric heaters and that sort of thing. That sort of idea um, is a really good theory because it delivers heat where you want it. You don't heat all that space um, and all that physical mass of the building. Um, and you only have it on when you need it on, so you don't have to put it on at 6 o'clock in the morning. And it's electric, so it's really easy to decarbonise. You just connect to a green energy tariff. Um, but it's just been really... well. Not fair to say it's always been badly done. It's never been really effective. Um, the heating is the heating effect is really harsh. Yeah, I'm I'm just remembering the electric heaters I've come across, and Debs and I were chatting earlier, and it's like, yeah, it's kind of sears one side of your leg, and then the other exactly. side of you is like still really cold. Yeah, so that's not comfort for a church, and that's you know that's not really going to do it. And you know, um, overhead heaters for bald-headed people and what have you, not a good <laughs> not a good combination. So. Um, uh, but um, in my simple architect's mind, it's, you know, the radiant heating is, it's a bit like light. It's, it, it, it works using radiant waves of energy. And that's a bit like light. It's just in the non-visible part of the spectrum. And we know how to light a church. We have nice, elegant fittings that look like they fit in a church. Um, we put the source of the light above where you want the light to go. And the one thing we don't do is use really harsh directional spotlights everywhere. We use nice, soft, diffuse light emitters or light bulbs, um, you know, that give a much more agreeable effect. So this sort of concept came from just saying, well, why don't we just do that with radiant heating? Put the source of the heat above where you want it to go, make the fittings elegant, and use very best state-of-the-art heat emitters that are much more diffuse in their effect. So, so what do these actually look like? So they're sort of a cross between a light and mm -hmm. a heater. Uh, so they're quite large. They're about one and a bit metres across. Um, they are they, they form a circle, so um, it's ended up being a product called halo. If you imagine a sort of halo shape, um, and they're suspended from the ceiling of the church. Um, hidden inside them are um, the heat emitters. They're ceramic heat emitters um, that, that put out the heat. Separate from those around the outside of the lights. So you can you can change the lights, you can change the colour, you can... But, you know, the, the, the technology is within... Um, so in the summer, just have the lights. In the winter, when you need the heat, exactly the same process. When you come in to turn the lights on, you come in and turn the heat on. It's, it's, it's that immediate. Um, and invisibly and rather magically, they produce this diffuse heating effect. Um, and actually what we found as we developed it was it, it isn't just that glow from above. Um, the, the radiant energy um, travels down and heats up the people and the pews and the chairs and the floor. And then those surfaces also re-emit energy. So you get that feeling that you're in a sort of bubble of heat. It's quite sort of subliminal. It's, you know, you don't say, oh, that's where the heat's coming from. It's a much more agreeable uh, effect. Lovely. And, and so how, I mean, how long did it take to set this up and how expensive is it? Well, we, um, it started off with some prototypes. So, uh, you know, getting prototypes to work really well. And they were like really, we were really pleased with ourselves because they work really well. Um, but that's where we needed to try them in a real church. Um, partly because people's memory of radiant heating in churches is it's not really that good. Um, so we thought we may have solved that and we had to prove it. Um, and, and part of the ambition in that was that, um, you know, if a church today wants to replace its heating system or their heating system's broken, they've got to put a new one in. Um, that, you know, the options uh, that the, we'd all say, well, you know, you've got to get off fossil fuel, so you can't just have another gas boiler. Um, and you need to look at the zero carbon options. 
Uh, and that's great. We'd all agree with that. But they're all really expensive. So things that you might do at home, like heat pumps and um, you know hybrid solar systems and things like that, um, you can make them work for churches, of course, but they're really expensive. The ambition here was to make it about the same price as if you had to replace a gas or an oil boiler. Um, still a lot of capital. It's still money. Um, if you imagine replacing your boiler at home, that's, you know, that's a hit on your personal finances for something as big as a church. That's still a lot of money. But at least we've got something that's you know, like for like and in the same sort of ballpark. And then how expensive is it to actually run? That was the big surprise. So when we started the trial, I would have anticipated, you know, the dream would be to get to now and say, well, they're really comfortable and everybody likes the look of them, um, you know, and they're relatively affordable to put in and so on. And they're zero carbon. That's fantastic. But of course, they're a bit more expensive to run. Actually, we found that they are so much more efficient um, that they are considerably cheaper to run. So that, that was the extra bonus that in an energy cost crisis, We've got something that works, is zero carbon, and is cheaper to run. It's like almost the impossible dream. Um, to give a sort of scale for that, um, we compared the radiant heating trial with the heating we would have been using otherwise, a gas central heating system, quite a good one as they go. Um, looked at our energy consumption from years past, but upped that to today's more expensive tariff. Worked out what it would cost to heat the church for a service, for a typical service. And that, was, that came out about £75. Um, if it's a really cold day, over £100, which is quite a sort of shocking figure, really, when you think about it. Uh, we then looked at the meter whizzing round as we were using Radiant instead, and the most we've got to for a service was £17.50. Whoa, so that's like... I can't, I'm not very good mm -hmm. at maths. This is why you're the scientist. <laughs> I'm not, but, so that's like, I mean, a saving of 10% of the cost of, sometimes, or, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, you get those extra effects like, um, you know, if you've got a gas heating system, you've got to put it on hours before. So you've got to anticipate that everything's going to happen in that space. Um, and maybe you had a morning service and then a thing at lunchtime and then a something else in the afternoon. But with gaps in between, well, of course, you'd have to keep the heating on all the time. So for part of that day, you're heating the church. There's nobody even there. With these, you just put them on when you need them. And if that thing at four o'clock this afternoon got cancelled or something, you know, and they forgot to mention... You haven't got to go and mess around with programs or, or just leave the heating on. Um, it just wouldn't go on in the first place. So there are sort of extra little savings along the way. Um, it's sort of just intuitive. You turn up, turn the lights on. Oh, when it's cold, so I'll turn the heating on. By the time you've come back down from the light switch, it's nice and warm. Amazing. So, I mean, you said that nobody's really before been able to do radiant heating in certainly in a large space like this before really successfully. But it sounds like this is very groundbreaking. And from what I'm hearing, you're getting interest from across the country and other churches and organisations wanting to do something similar. Yeah, it's got a lot of interest. Lots of people have um, have come to see it. Um, uh, I don't think I've had anybody say it's horrible, um, you know, <laughs> and, and a lot of churches, and, and, and particularly because of that cost thing as well, a lot of churches saying, we've been talking about the heating for years because it's, you know, been the process of finally breaking down or we haven't had heating for two winters and things like that. Um, you know, so this might be the answer. Um, but also that appeal that, you know, the thing they've been talking about, every time they have a leadership meeting, mm, they've got to deal with that awkward question of the, how are they going to solve the heating question how are they going to find the capital for that and, and in the meantime how are they going to pay the bills that they're getting uh, along the way um it you know it just is an all-absorbing topic that won't go away that won't be solved and had several churches come along and say this is it you know we're, we're, we're going to go for this because um you know, almost the comfort is a, is a side issue to have some heating would be fabulous because <laughs> we've survived for a couple of winters without um 
but also that it you know really is comfortable. It's 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 a lot of money. We're going to have to find that, but it, it's much better than trying to do it with heat pumps or something else. And then our running costs are lower. Um, uh, and to touch on what we started off at the beginning, it's also showing that as a church, we're relevant. We're doing something about the, the climate. Um, you know, we're actually on it. Um, uh, and what's interesting as well is, so it's not just churches, it's other secular organisations. Um, so that's been a really good sort of angle on this, is that, you know, the climate is something that affects all of us. Everyone is concerned about the climate. We're seeing um, uh, wildfires in Greece and, and, you know, strange weather patterns across the globe. Um, slightly strange weather patterns in the UK at the moment as it's raining through our lovely summer, but we had rural heat before that. You know, things are going on. It's becoming undeniable. So we all care about the climate. Um, that we especially care because we're the church and because we believe that we have a duty to care for God's creation um, is a little bit on top, but it's a common conversation. It's a, a universal conversation. Amazing. And uh, we'll come on to some of the other things that you as a church have been doing shortly. But if anyone is listening who maybe, um, yeah, maybe they uh, organize a church or another building, large building that might be interested in this, how could they get in touch and find out more? Um, well, at the moment, if they look at the diocesan website, there's a news feature on there that gives them lots of information. Um, uh, so they're and also very welcome to get in touch with St. Matthews if they want to arrange to come and have a look. Um, if they want technical detail, the company that helped us do it is called Herschel Infrared. They're based out of Avonmouth. Um, so it's sort of any of those routes um, would, would get them more information. Um, I'd say the best thing is have a look on the Darsison website. That's a really good story. It's got pictures. <laughs> so, you know, you see what we're talking about um, um, and get some of that sort of feedback and some of the, like, the cost data and things that I've just mentioned. Amazing. And then, yeah, uh, Deborah, let's come back to you because uh, you said that there's obviously some other stuff that the church has been uh, working on, that St. Matthew's particularly has been working on to become more environmentally friendly. Can you tell us a bit more about that, some of the gardens and stuff you've been doing work on? Well, we're, we're very fortunate that we have, um, we don't have a church yard. We have a, a, a garden that surrounds the church uh, and and it's never been a graveyard, so we are able to do whatever we like with it, really. So we, on one side, on the south side, which is the sunny side, we ha tend to have um, events and, uh, you know, church events and people hire it and so on. Uh, towards the back, we there's um, a children's play area, a very small one, but that's for our nursery school that meets there every every day. And then the north side, which was a kind of gloomy side, less sunlight and so on, was a bit of a kind of not a wilderness exactly, but it it was was difficult to grow a lovely sunny garden there. You couldn't couldn't do it. But um, and I didn't really know the church before I arrived five years ago, so I don't really remember that side. But we have created what we call a wildlife garden. It's not just wild, and it's not wild flowers. Just it's for wildlife, and we've we've. Um, We've had um, we've planted native species of shrubs like um, rasp, uh, red currants, I believe, are a native species, which I didn't realise. Uh, lots of wildflowers, and it's managed. You have to manage these places, otherwise they just get overrun by bindweed and things. Um, but we're seeing lots of different insects, invertebrates. We're seeing different birds coming. Uh, we've seen foxes, badgers, and hedgehogs. Um, so that's really good. We've also had events. We um, Simon's been part of the planning team as well. We've had events like uh, we have a plant sale that's now run three years running. We're going to expand it into more than just a plant sale. Um, but we have teas there, cake and tea and so on um, as well. 
but we grow our own plants. Church members grow plants and bring them along to sell. And we raise money that way. And we've done things to improve the environment. So we've put in double gates to give big access to the wild garden, uh, the wildlife garden, the, um, so that people can come in with wheelchairs and buggies with children and so on. We open up the gardens uh, an awful lot um, to the community. And we've also installed, with the help of a grant actually, we've, we've installed huge water butts. So we're getting water off the roof. So not having to use mains water. So that's both another saving financially and then also uh, environmentally friendly. Yes, absolutely. So quite lots of things like that. And trying to really encourage people to think about um, how they use their gardens at home as well. And what sort of responses have you been getting from the congregation and the community about all of this? Because some of this is quite unusual or, you know, not all churches will be doing this or certainly like let's put space heat not space heaters but let's put you know halos in the in in the roof um how how have people been responding to that generally been very very positive indeed i mean i haven't heard any criticism on either the gardens or the halos or anything really i think people are really on board with it and really appreciate it a very positive reflection on the experience of covid in that um as with all churches we had to close our doors during covid um uh, you know directed to do so um, so lots more people walking about and we did keep up caring for the garden because that's exercise and we could do it you know suitably distanced from one another and so on um, but uh, St Matthew's is surrounded by railings so you can pretty much walk all the way around the outside the number of conversations of people who were walking because that's about all you could do during Covid um, uh, you know just perhaps straying into new territories new new quarters of the city um, and, and just fascinated by what we were doing and really appreciative um, uh, and, um, you know, where you had time to just stop and dwell for a bit, which is something perhaps we did learn to do a bit more during COVID. Um, you know, you, you start off thinking, well, it's, you know, it's some nice flowers and it's a nice garden. Uh, and then you look at the amount of activity in that space and the amount of wildlife and, the, you know, the just there's always something going on in this, this sort of little oasis in the middle of Kingsdown. Um, uh, you know, that's been one of the, the exciting things for us is that we, yes, it does take some management and a bit of care, um, but every time we go into it, it's like, oh, there's a new thing that we didn't know about. And um, we, we, we found, um, you know, new things that are just beautiful to learn about, like um, firecrests. I've never seen a little firecrest before. Wait, what, what's a fire? This is sound really it's bad. A, what's a firecrest? Um, so it's a tiny little bird. Um, and um, I'd, if you've ever sort of stopped to talk to a robin, <laughs> um, you know, you know that they're a bit cheeky. They're quite inquisitive. And firecrests are just the same. They, um, you know, they, they, you can just sit there, and as long as you're not sort of in any way threatening, um, you'll find that they're pretty much eating out of your hand. You know, they just come and have a look and have a little chat and look at you quizzically with their heads to one side, and um, and they're really beautiful. Um, uh, you know, it, it, just everything. We, to have badgers in a in a city garden. You've got badgers. Yeah. Oh wow. And we're all used getting quite used to urban foxes. Um, you know, we kind of get that. But if you look at our garden on, um, you know, Google Earth or something, yeah, there's sort of back gardens around, and and, and there's no real sort of parks or anything. So where did the badgers come from? You know, <laughs> when they the first you know pioneering badger who was wrecking for somewhere to live. You know, how did they get there undetected? And we didn't even know they were there until they were well established. Um, so, you know, the whole, it, it's taken a life of its own. It's, you know, we didn't, we didn't set out to have badges. Um, but, you know, there they are. And, and uh, um, it, it's just fabulous. 
And, and we also manage um, the gardens for um, invertebrates, which are really important. Everyone knows that you know, if we don't have bees, we won't get pollinated, pollinated crops. But in fact, other invertebrates, other insects pollinate as well. So we have what we call, um, they're insect posts. And um, we have something called St. Anthony's Bug Church, I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, so others will have put some pallets together and said, that's a bug hotel. Um, we did that slightly differently, and it's sort of got a little pitched roof on it. And, um, and it's St. Anthony's Bug Church. Um, that, it's uh, an ant and the Anthony is because yeah. it's a fun. Oh, I, oh, very good. <laughs> what's it, you know? What's the congregation like? It's in Anthony's Bug Church. Are uh, they thriving? Uh, huge <laughs> numbers, very healthy, yeah. every shape and size. Uh, again, it's one of those things where you might look at it and say, oh, "There's not much going on there," and then you and it's full of bits of tile and you know bits of rotting wood and things like that. And, and if you just move a couple, you know, oh, hang on, that's you know that's full of little critters. <laughs> Somebody's home. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, very uh, educational as well, like you were saying about people coming in and using it, and particularly, you know, children, yeah. or you have, like, I presume some sort of Sunday school, and they're getting the children in the congregation to kind of learn about it through yeah. ups, through having it right on their doorstep, literally. Absolutely. And, in fact, when we've had our um, the very first plant sale we had, we also did tours around the garden. We had to have a kind of one-way system because of COVID regulations. So people came in, bought their plants, had a cup of tea, and then were able to come out through the wild garden and have a bit of a tour and a little bit of a chat about what was going on. And um, um, Simon's put some boards up uh, explaining what's going on there. And in fact, also one of our congregational members who live, who actually backs onto the church, um, has done some nighttime filming and created a little film that we had playing in the foyer. And apparently the nursery school children were absolutely amazed at it and were just transfixed by this little movie of foxes and magpies and and things you know going on um and that was really popular actually during during the plant this last plant sale that we've had lovely and and why why would the two of you say it's important for the church to be doing things like this you know there might be some people listening who are like well surely the church is more about preaching and looking at the bible why does it matter to spend time and money and energy on bug churches or on uh, or, or on roof, you know, chandeliers and caring about the environment. Surely, like you say, it's something that everyone in the world should care about and cares about. So why why does the church need to take a leadership on stance on it from your view? That's if, if you could get into deep into the theology of that. Um, uh, you know, the, the easy answer I'm is because the Bible says, we, well, we, we have a duty to care for God's creation. You can read, you know, if you just flick through the first pages of Genesis, that is amazing. And, you know, that as Christians, we believe this is all God's creation. Um, I think it's it goes much deeper than that. I think it's also that absolutely fundamental biblical principle of love thy neighbor. Um, and that what we do in King's Down and that we might, you know, we're producing our carbon and it's, you know, and it, uh, you know, in the abstract, well, okay, that's, you know, that's, that's lovely for us and that's great. But if we can, in doing so, have an impact on the climate, um, get others to, 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 you know, follow, to see that not only is it a sort of, it's very topical to, um, you know, hear, hear the Prime Minister talking about we can't just sort of stop people doing things and it shouldn't be a negative process. And up to a point, yeah, it should, you know, the, the garden process has been joyful. The heating has been better than the heating we had before and cheaper. Um, so, you know, these are all good messages to be putting out there. But if in doing so that we can have some beneficial impact on the world, we can, you know, at every level, reducing our carbon, um, uh, um, creating, you know, thriving uh, wildlife and bi biodiversity in the garden um, and um, educating our children about the environment, 
um, and just making it part of who we are, um, then I think that's really deep and you know has, has, a, has a really profound effect. Um, I say we're just one little church, just on the heating. Um, you know, one church, bit of a pioneer. Nobody else has done it yet. Lots of other churches have come to come to have a look. Um, you know, if they take it on, um, so we've decarbonised, they'll decarbonise. Um, I know there there are sixteen thousand Anglican churches in the UK, so you know, get half of them to decarbonise, add that up. That's a lot of carbon. There are forty two thousand churches of all denominations, and that, you know, that's just in the UK. That's not even getting into other cold climate countries and other buildings where that heating might be a good solution. So you know, we're really hopeful that as we get you know, just on the heating, if we get that out there, um, actually add it all together, that could have a real impact. And just possibly, um, uh, you know, a, a community living somewhere we don't even know, you know, that we have no understanding of, an African community or a community, um, you know, or people in Greece or, uh, you know, where, uh, you know, between us, we can show that you can do something and actually have a meaningful effect, actually have a statistical meaning effect, meaningful effect that, that makes things a bit better. Um, then I think that's the right thing to be doing. And, and Deb, what what would you say? What would I say? I I I think I mean, Simon's absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, also, God is interested in the whole of life, and you know, we humans we tight, quite like to sort of box God up sometimes and put him on a shelf. And actually, God is interested in absolutely everything because God created everything. Really cares about creation. And it is our job, um, but also it's our joy because who amongst us has never been moved by a beautiful view or a sunset or just having a kind of a holiday or a walk or a retreat in nature and just feeling all the stresses falling away. We are designed to live in nature and in harmony with nature. So that's part of it as well. And I think um, we, we, need to, we need to remember the joy. I mean, Simon used the word joy just now, and I think that is so important. We've re experienced huge joy from doing this and a feeling of satisfaction, but also we know we, we, need, to be, we need to be in harmony with nature. And if we can't show it, uh, believing as we do um, that God has shown us the way, then you know, we're, not, we're not doing very well as human beings, are we? And it's something for every human being to do. Amazing. Well, it sounds like you both are doing, well, the whole church is doing some very inspiring work around sort of demonstrating how, uh, how buildings and churches, faith communities can uh, be part of tackling the climate crisis. So just remind people again how they can uh, find out more, how they can get in touch with you, particularly if they're interested in the, in the halo heaters and wanting to explore that as a heating solution for their own buildings. Uh, well, the easy answer is come and see, <laughs> come and meet us. Um, uh, so for the garden, the garden is it, it's open most days. Um, most Saturday mornings, there's always somebody there um, doing the maintenance and doing the tending and cutting the grass and what have you. So, um, you know, come along, have a chat, have a cup of tea and see. And if you like, we'll come and show you inside and show you the heaters as well. Um, if you are not local and <laughs> want to have a look, um, uh, I say there's a really good story on the diocesan website um, uh, about the heaters. And that's got links to all sorts of other data. Um, you know, or just get in touch with St. Matthew's um, and you may very well end up talking to me. But, um, <laughs> you know, if you're interested in the halo heaters for your church, um, I, I would be delighted to, to tell you more and answer any questions that you've got. Can I add something there? Um, Herschel also does domestic heating. So there are, there are ways to, to, to heat your home, which are low carbon, using the same technology. 
So that's also very interesting. Is that quite a new thing? Because it's not something I've really heard about much before. I believe it is. It's, it's relatively new, but there's a cultural thing here. So um, one of my favourite statistics or sort of observations on glo- uh, climate warming, global warming, um, is when we talk about, you know, we're one point, keep 1.5 alive and, and, you know, and so on. Well, when was zero? When was the planet last the temperature it was supposed to be? Um, and it's about 1975, um, so, yeah, there's a lot of legacy stuff to do with the Industrial Revolution and so on, but, but the big sort of shift, the, the graph starts going up really fast around 1975, which is when uh, we all started getting central heating in our homes, when we all started having a car or two cars per household, and we started flying to overseas holidays and things like that. So there's that lifestyle shift that corresponds to when we really started having a real problem. Um, and we've got really used to central heating. Uh, now that we've got a radiant heating solution in St. Matthew's, um, it, it, it kind of makes you think, well, it's bonkers trying to heat the whole place. Why are you heating, you know, side rooms and side chapels and vestries and things like that when you, there's nobody there? And all that's happening is that heat is just lose, being lost through the building. Nobody's even getting the benefit of it, and it's just being lost. It's not even being saved for later on. Um, and the same is true in your house. Um, you know, if you're... We've got pretty good at having better heating controls, and we're all told to turn our thermostats down and so on. But still, for a lot of the time, you'll be heating the spare bedroom or, um, you know, the kind of a, I don't mean it flippantly, but, you know, we heat our bathrooms all the time uh, when actually we're in there for quite a small proportion of the day. If you could have a heating solution for your bathroom that you turn it on, you know, like when you turn the light on, um, and then it's nice and warm for whatever you need to be doing in your bathroom, um, and then when you leave, you turn it off again, that's got to be better, hasn't it? Um, uh, so it's, it's that sort of shift in thinking. Um, I, um, in my day job as an architect, I'm, uh, another example is hotels. Um, so we're looking at using electric heating in a hotel. So that when you arrive and you check in and you've got your baggage and so on, um, you get your keys and the person behind the reception turns your bedroom on. Didn't need to be heated until then. And then by the time you've got up there, it's lovely and warm, Perfect. Um, so it's those sorts of efficiencies where, you know, actually when you think about that, central heating's a little bit bonkers, isn't it? Why would you heat a whole hotel? Why do you heat your whole church or your home all the time? Yeah, because you wouldn't, you know, you, sh- you shouldn't or wouldn't leave your light, the lights on in yeah. a whole building the entire time because you're just not going to Just in benefit. case, you know, just to save the convenience of, of having to turn them on when you need to go into mm-hmm. a room. Um, yeah, it's crazy. So, I actually have friends who are about to move to an old house that's got very inefficient heating and they're looking at Herschel. For there for individual rooms to wow. heat individual rooms which is great i never thought talking about heating solutions could mm-hmm. be so interesting <laughs> we could probably stay here all day doing yeah. that um but yeah oh well thank you so much for coming in so uh this is simon and deborah from uh saint matthews in kingsdown and yeah any final messages any final words you want to say to anyone listening um, well, if I may, um, I, I represent an organisation called Green Christian, which is a national charity. And uh, we've been around for 41 years. Um, uh, and I happen to be co-chair at the moment. I'm one of the trustees. And we work with churches and individuals to help them in their environmental walk with, with, with God. Uh, and we provide all sorts of resources, uh, printed materials, magazines, and also we... We do day conferences, weekend retreats, and we will come to you. So any church that's out there that's listening and is interested, look for Green Christian online and you'll find us.
And is that just a UK thing? Is that a yeah. global thing? It's, it's a, it's a UK, UK charity. UK We're a UK charity. charity, yeah. Lovely. So any Christians who are listening um, in the UK who are interested in that or any churches, uh, just go to the Green Christian website. Is that right? And there's a way to link up and uh, do this. Yeah, learn from each other, it sounds like. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Simon, any last words from you? Um, I, we've mentioned the word joy a few times. Um, I would hope that your listeners can be inspired by all of this and the experience that we've had, that um, actually we've had an awful lot of fun along the way. Um, we have done things that probably are harder to, you know, some people would say we can't do that or it's hard to do. Um, uh, and actually we've done it and it's been fantastic. Um, so um, in all the different things that we've been talking about, um, you know, if your listeners just feel a little bit inspired to just do stuff, um, because otherwise you're just reading about it and talking about it and, and getting worried about climate change and um, getting annoyed with politicians for them not acting properly and, and all the rest of it, um, when, when actually it's with us. We, you, know, it, 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 the, the, you could talk about the national church having a campaign to decarbonise and so on, which it does, and that's fantastic. But actually decarbonising churches happens in parishes. Decarbonising your home is what you do at home. It's your choices, it's your action that makes a difference. Um, but it, you know, and that sounds like so you've got to do it. Well, no, actually, try it, do it, and it might be a lot better, and you might save money, and it might be, well, you know, a good experience, something that um, you know inspires inspires others, and is just fun. Yeah, I think that's it's interesting in that, like what you said when you set out, you didn't think you were going to save money along the way, and then it turns out this is actually far more energy efficient. So it's those nice surprises that come out along the way well, sometimes. I'll give you a, just a little example. Along the way, um, uh, uh, one of our uh, playgroup staff unfortunately passed away, so we planted a plum tree in her memory. And I can tell you that plum tree, there was one day last summer when, with some children in the garden, we picked a plum, a, a sun-warmed plum, plum off the tree and ate it. And I have to, uh, that is, without doubt, my best food memory ever. <laughs> I could have gone to a supermarket and bought a little plastic punnet of plums, um, you know, packed in plastic and surrounded in nitrogen and all that sort of thing from somewhere in the world, who knows where. Um, but to have something that was in season, fresh off the tree, um, was just the most delicious thing ever. And I think that little sort of anecdote sort of encompasses the whole thing. That it was just brilliant. And, it, and, and you couldn't beat that. Um, that we'd grown that in our garden without pesticides. Um, you know, it happens there were children around and it became part of their experience. And it was just delicious. Mm. Climate-friendly, biodiversity-friendly and all the rest of it. But and it was just delicious. And educational for the children, yeah. So that was, that was in St Matthew's Garden. Lovely. Well, like you say, I, you know, hopefully this is, can inspire other people to look at what they can do, things that maybe they didn't think they could uh, they could do or you know link up with uh link up with networks of people similarly interested in tackling the climate crisis because you're right if we wait around for the politicians to have all the solutions that <laughs> it's not going to happen so finding the little things we can do uh, every day but yeah thank you so much both of you for coming in and have a lovely rest of you rest of your day thank you thank, thank you, you for much. inviting us thank you this is the podcast version of one love one planet the award-winning environmental radio show Broadcast every Tuesday at 11am on BCFM Radio, available on 93.2 FM, on digital radio and on the BCFM website. The show was produced and presented by Shona Jemfrey. You can find us on Twitter at Shona Jemfrey and at BCFM Radio.